Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, with Pastor John King. Good morning, everybody. So here we are, Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. As we're turning to that section, I'll just kind of give you a quick review from last week. Uh, hopefully we learned how unity in the church has been established and is to be maintained by the spiritual gifts of leadership listed in Ephesians 4.11. You have apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. These giftings are provided by God so that the church can be equipped to do the work of the ministry. This is God's blueprint for biblical church growth. And this happens not through corporate models that use entertainment or hype to achieve numerical growth. Instead, we will see four areas that we should be growing in. These are the questions that you and I need to ask ourselves when we examine our church and say, are we doing the things that God's called us? They are leadership, discipleship, Growing in maturity and being able to live, speak and live the truth in love. Leadership that's gifted for service and teaching God's word by the spirit of God. And discipleship as people of the church are equipped and prepared for works of service by finding and receiving and then using, important, using their spiritual gifts. And then of course maturity. And this is referring to kind of a corporate maturity that comes from leadership and discipleship. When the people in the congregation are steadily growing deeper in their knowledge of the Son of God and the Word of God, able to stand firm on biblical doctrine, at the same time being knit together by the Holy Spirit, where everyone is doing their part. And then finally, truth in love, being honest and transparent. We're not here to play church. We need to be able to speak the truth in love to those that we fellowship with, to those that we love, that we serve together with. So when we're growing in these areas, guess what can happen? God can bring the increase. Because we didn't have a man-made scheme or plan to grow your church. We let God do it. He's the one who adds to our numbers. Amen? So this week... We're going to, as we, now last week we started the second major part of this book, you know, right in the middle. It's a very simple uh, letter, if you will. And the first three chapters are all doctrine that teach you theology and doctrine and instruct us where we sit in Christ. But now in the second half, we talk about how we walk, how we're to walk in Christ. And our focus, of course, was on unity, unity of purpose, and of course, the diversity of the spiritual gifts that we talked about. Today, we're going to begin our next sort of subtopic within this section of walking, and that's on the subject of purity, purity, holiness. And as we're going to see, first of all, it needs to start with renewed thinking. You're not going to become a change. You're not going to change. God cannot change your heart, and I'll say this more than once today. He will not change your heart until you change your thinking. You've got to do that. And our need for uh, renewed thinking will become very obvious as we read these. You know, Paul's going to contrast the world's thinking with the sanctified mindset 
of who we are in Christ and what we should have, the kind of thinking we should have. So let's look at our, our verses 17 through 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. So it's not from Paul. It's coming from Jesus. So if you have a problem with what the Bible says, you need to take it up with God. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Oof. That's tough, isn't it? Verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in who? Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to you, Lord, hopefully with a clean slate in our hearts and minds ready to learn from you again this morning. Father, uh, deal with us as you may. Let your words speak to our hearts in a way that only you can. May it bring change that brings glory to you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So, really, today's message has two basic parts, okay? The first part is a different life should equal a different walk. And then, of course, because we're saved, you're going to have a new wardrobe, if you will. And so we're going to explain those things. But I, I like how Warren Wiersbe, he starts off, when you start this section of the Bible, he comments, he says, there are some negative instructions in the Christian life, and here is one of them. Negative instructions in the Christian life, and here is one of them. In verse 1 of this chapter, he gave an exhortation to walk worthy of the calling with which you and I were called. Now he is giving them what we would call an admonition, a warning of how not to walk. By how he's going to unfold the layers of a mind apart from Christ. A mind that's apart from Christ. We see it every single day in this country, the latest massacre, the latest heinous crime, the latest shooting, the madness that goes on, that's a mind that's apart from Christ. And that's what you see. We get to see it sometimes a bit too close. He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. Now he's bearing witness to affirm that the Lord, the Master, the owner is the one who is giving these instructions because we're going to see this is how God sees the world in one aspect. Yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that's because what he saw in the world, what he sees in the world. So don't let anybody try to tell you that you're a judgmental Christian. Jesus is the judge. And this is his word. Amen? <coughs> That you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And it's good that this version 
clarifies the rest of the Gentiles because he's writing to a mostly Gentile church. Some versions say that you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Now a walk, again, is, it really it signifies uh, the activities of an individual life. In other words, by your walk, what he's saying here is using a figure of speech, this is how you live life. With all of its ups and downs, where you go, what you think, and what you do, how you live life, how you treat others, how you treat people in your life, how you work, how you, everything you do. He says, how you live life as the rest of the Gentiles. And remember that when the wall of separation was taken down by Jesus, that there's no longer a religious barrier between God's people, the nation Israel, and the church. And so by combining, you know, Jew and Gentile into what we would call the third race of family of God, I mean, you're either saved or you're not at this point in time, okay? You're either a Christian or you're not. It doesn't matter your background. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and the Savior, then you're not a Christian. Then you're not a part of this third race that God created from the Gentiles and the Jews. Now in chapter 2, Paul had previously described the natural condition of those who are apart from Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. I don't need to read it at all, but look at verse 2. It says, you once walked according to the course of this world. In other words, the ways of this world was how you were governed. You know, whichever the wind blew, way the wind blew, whichever was popular, whichever political influences you had, you were subject to it totally. You had no mind, really. Now, you could make decisions one way or the other, but you weren't being led by God. You were being subject to the course of this world. He also points out later in chapter 2 a description of the Gentiles apart from Christ. In uh, verses 11 through 13, and he says that at that time you were without Christ. Verse 12, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Notice, having no hope and without God in the world. Having no hope. And then he says in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So they all know that. And in light of that understanding, he says, stop thinking and therefore living like the world. How you live is how you think. Okay? And so he's just saying, stop doing that. And then he starts to give examples. In the futility of their mind. King James says vanity. But what this really means is emptiness. Living a life that has empty results. It's an empty life that you're living. One writer put it this way. He said, when men push God out of their minds, their minds are void and empty of God and of, of his truth and morality. God is not in their thoughts. Their minds are ready to be filled with some other God or supremacy. That is, the things of the world, power, pleasure, position, possessions, even religion and philosophy, People, are you, you're going to take it in. You're going to take it in. Pastor John Corson wrote this in his, his commentary. And many of you may have his commentary on the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, he says, not only are we to walk in unity, explaining where we're at now in the, in, the, in the letter, but Paul goes on to say that we are to put away vanity or empty-headedness and to walk in purity. Create in me a clean heart, David prayed, 
because he couldn't create a clean heart in himself. We don't have the power to change our hearts, but we do have the power to change our minds. And if I stop justifying that activity or that habit, if I change my mind, God will change my heart. But he won't change my heart until I change my mind. When we started this letter, that was the thing that, you know, I, I mentioned to you early at the outset, that God wants to renew our thinking and he wants to renew our thought process. So it's thinking that is empty and vain or futile and confused. Now, here's what it looks like. Look at verse 18. Having their understanding darkened. Having their understanding darkened. This is a consciousness, this is a consciousness characterized by a perverted moral impulse. The word darkened is at uh, scotizo. It's to deprive of light, to take away the light. And so that's where, their, you know, that's where their mind is at. And so, again, when you look at the paper, when you look at the news reports, the most recent tragic shooting right down the road in Chesapeake at that Walmart, this is what's happening. Kent Hughes writes this. He says, this, of course, is an absence of spiritual understanding because the intellects of the unsaved are active and capable. It's not like they're empty-minded in the sense that they can't think. Romans 1, 21 and 22, it says, Paul addresses this, this mindset. He says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing, of course, to be wise. They became fools. And that's the state of the world apart from God. And so, knowing what it looks like, you know, again, digging deep into that, here's what the result is. Here's the result. Being alienated from the life of God. This is to be shut out from one's fellowship and intimacy with God. And uh, Vine's uh, dictionary says it's like a threefold state of alienation. You're, you're alienated, and in this case, they're alienated from Israel. They're alienated from the life of God, and they're alienated from God himself. Ezekiel 14.5, it says, that I, might, that I might seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. It grieves the heart of God to see what goes on. So if you're alienated from the life of God, you're alienated from a life where God is the author of your life. God should be the author of our lives as Christians, writing his story in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we call our testimony. And this helps to explain the unfriendly and even hostile feelings people express toward the things of God. When you mention God in a, in, a, in a text, in a group text with a mixed multitude, if you will, of those who share your faith and those who don't share your faith, you're liable to run into a short fuse now and again, a snide remark. Most of the time, people in our society are able to sidestep it. And they get to know you, you know, when you rub elbows with people, they get to know your, your way of bringing God into the conversation. 
And so they try to get ahead of you on that. You guys have experienced that. That's why it's often sometimes a lot easier to talk to a total stranger on the street. Because they don't know your tricks. <laughs> they don't know your personality. I'm not saying tricks, but your personality. So it results in um, a life of being alienated from God. But it's worse than that. The reason is, is because of deadness and hardness of heart. Deadness and hardness of heart. Look at the second half of verse 18. It says, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Ignorance meaning want of knowledge or perception. And then blindness is this sort of porosis. It's like a callousness. It's a, it's a hardening. It's a dulled spiritual perception. When you wonder why somebody won't receive, you know, you've received the good news of Christ, you're walking with Jesus, and you're, you're trying to share the things that God's done in your life, and you look at somebody and it's like it's gone in one ear and out the other. And oftentimes it's because their heart is so hardened against the things of God. Chuck Swindoll says this, Paul is describing as the root cause of this futility, darkness, and ignorance of their minds. The Greek word translated hardness is porosis, which indicates a stony, petrified condition, like that of a once living, growing tree that has been petrified over the course of centuries. It's a slow and steady thing that happens. And when it's applied to the heart, it emphasizes the impenetrable nature of a person's cold and calloused heart. When a man is so bound in anger, and he leaves this in his, his, you know, after he killed himself, he was so angry over the course of many years, the news reports will tell us of this man in Chesapeake, he was so angry, his heart was so hardened and so callous that he walked into a break room and blew away six people, I believe, and he shot several more. Because why? Because his heart was hardened. He was angry at the way they treated him. Callous. He was beyond feeling. This is why what we do is so important to the world we live in. Why bringing Christ, why standing in God's word, why standing up for the things of God is so important because the enemy seeks to, what does he seek to do? Kill and destroy. That's what he does. You know, kind of a mild way of putting it, with the way uh, Hughes writes this, when you hold down the truth. They hold down the truth much like a little boy who smuggled his dog into his room to spend the night. And when he heard his parents approaching, he put that dog in his toy box and he sat on the lid. And he talked to his parents, ignoring the repeated thumps of the poor pet on the box. But Paul here is talking about an aggressive suppression of the truth. That's what happens. And this would explain why most people come to receive Christ at an early age. This should also explain why we invest energy and prayer and the work of Child Evangel Evangelism Fellowship. So that the public school, the children can hear the word of God. That the Bible can be brought back into school. This is why we invest in our kids. So that they can receive biblical instruction as they grow older that they would make a decision for Jesus. See, it's important what we do. doesn't matter what the world wants to tell you. It's important what you do for Christ. 
The more they suppress the truth, the less capable of becoming a discerning spiritual reality. See what happened. You, know, you saw it with the story, of course, of Pharaoh, where he continued to harden his heart despite all the miraculous things and the way he couldn't overpower God and all the plagues that came upon him. He continued to harden his heart until God gave him over to his desire. The type of thinking that is dark, hard-hearted, and excluded from the life of God is how somebody can take a weapon or a knife and sneak into a place and kill people in their sleep. Here's the proof. Recklessness. Because now when you continue down that path, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Look at 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. This is past feeling. It's, cease, it's to cease to feel pain for the things that you're doing. This is the callous. They're insensible to honor and shame. And they've given themselves over to lewdness, which is shameless conduct. And when you do that, you make yourself a slave of it. You have unbridled lust, you have excess, licentiousness, lavishiousness, wantonness, outrageousness, shamelessness, and insolence, and not to mention violence and all the other things that happen. And then you work all uncleanness with greediness. In other words, due to this lustful impurity, you desire for more and more and more. And that's the story you get from serial killers who were, grew up on pornography, who went out to Ted Bundy's of this world. And they couldn't satisfy. They had to have more and more and more. Sensuality does not satisfy, but only creates a greater appetite. And so thinking that can no longer even sense the shame that has taken place. Now, with such a withering description of the kind of life that can happen apart from God, it can shake you. It can bring you to fear. It can even bring you to despair. And you can try to deny it by claiming that this is all an exaggeration. Because we know that it's true that not every single person apart from God does those wicked things we've described. But you're not far off if you've thought about it. Even for a moment. When you hate somebody... You know, it says, thou shalt not commit murder. But how about the person that you can't stand to be around? And if they died, you wouldn't miss them one little bit. Let's be honest. That's called murder. This is hard hitting. But the Bible, and you, you know, you say not everybody's like that. Well, you know what? The Bible describes a time in the history of man when everybody was like that, except for Noah. Look at Genesis 6, 5 through 8. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and in every, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What is that? Bad news. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man who I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, that's a withering description of mankind that ends with a smile on your face. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so have you.
you found grace in God's eyes if you've come to know Jesus. The late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, some of you may be familiar with him. He is said to have shared a, a sermon or a message about being spiritually dead to sin. Perhaps he was preaching some kind of message like this. And after the service, a young man approached him and he said, I sin, but it doesn't seem to matter at all. I'm not haunted by it. I don't get depressed about it. It doesn't bother me a bit, the young man said. Dr. Barnhouse looked at him and said, Well, tell me, son, what would happen if I dropped an 800-pound weight on the body of a dead man? And the man answered. Well, first he asked another question. He said, Would he feel it? Would he be in pain? Would it bother him? Of course not, said the young man. That's the point, said Dr. Barnhouse. If you don't feel the weight of sin, if it's not heavy upon you, and if it's not having an impact on you, it's because you're spiritually dead. That's what he told him. I've spoken about our current condition. You guys are well aware of all the her horrendous, you know, terrible things that happen just in our society, just in our local area sometimes. But you know what makes things even worse? For the most part, for the most part, I mean, I sit in my house, you sit in your homes in freedom and peace and enjoy your families together often. You had a wonderful Thanksgiving, I pray and hope. But for the most part, our culture still provides a comfortable enough living environment for many to simply do what? Continue in the direction that they desire. And you see this in recent election results. One writer put it this way, hearts which are hard and dark and dead spiritually would rather keep their old clothing, musty and decaying as it is, than to change. They may not like all that goes on, but as long as they are allowed to pursue life in their own way, everything and everyone is simpatico. Live and let live. Everything's fine. Now, with all that, let's not forget our responsibility. Because, you know, you can think, well, there's absolutely nothing worth doing anything for if you have the wrong attitude. There's nothing worth saving. There's nothing worth preserving. But that's the wrong attitude. Let's not forget our responsibility to pray fervently for our elected officials. Men's prayer Tuesday night, guys, if you're here, 6 o'clock. We're going to come and pray. And oftentimes we pray for our nation. Let's pray, let's support and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ who do actively engage in the political process. Those very few maybe Christians who will take that time to run for office or a local school board or whatever it is. Why? Because this is increasingly becoming one of the most important ministries in our society. Why? Because government was given by God to be used as his instrument of righteousness and because our nation was founded on godly principles. So the lack of Christians in government is showing and telling, isn't it? Very telling by the laws that are passed. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 3, he says, Therefore I, ex I exhort first of all that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks may be made for all men. 
for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now, perhaps you're thinking, John, why didn't you skip this particular portion of Scripture? I mean, why do we have to go here? Why, why do we have to be, uh, don't we get enough reality in our lives? You know, why do we have to come to church to hear it from you? Why can't you just give us a nice pep talk instead, right? Rah, rah, rah. Why can't I do that? Look at Paul's opening line in verse 17. He says, this I say, therefore, I testify or I, and testify in the Lord. So Paul, again, as I said earlier, he is not giving his own view on life apart from Christ. There are plenty of people that can make commentary about the world. He's telling you how Jesus sees the world. That's what he's telling us. And you and I know this. We need to see the world for what it is. Lost. Far away from God. Then we can, as one writer said, then we can comprehend why man cannot save himself and why Jesus came to die on a cross. A loss of the biblical vision of the world is behind the erosion of Orthodox Christianity. You know, when we sell out to seeker-sensitive, progressive Christianity, and you try to dumb down and soften the truth about the world, you lose. Because why? Because if you can imagine that the world is better than it is, the necessity of Christ and his cross is lessened and the potential of unregenerate man is now elevated. You see, everybody has a voice no matter what they've done to themselves. Everybody has a right to express themselves and you must celebrate. No matter what they've done to themselves. Not good. <laughs> I say not amen. So they're hard-hearted. We're talking about being past feeling, no longer sensing shame and having a heart of stone. And perhaps that may be your testimony before coming to Christ. You might have a testimony that said, if you only knew how I was, the way I live my life, I felt like I was made of stone. I didn't cry for years. I never shed a tear about anything. Maybe you could count your tears over the course of time. Maybe you needed to come to the Lord to have open heart surgery. Maybe God needed to perform his miracle in your life. Because that's what happened to me. And you guys know me. Now I, I blubber like a fool sometimes. But I often weep in repentance and joy at the same time. Repentance and joy at the same time. You can have those kind of tears in your heart. Next section, we're going to talk about the different wardrobe. The, Paul has given, Paul, the Apostle Paul, we can all agree, has given us a very thorough and a very grimly realistic view of the world as God sees it. Now he gives the best and the only solution the truth that is in Jesus. Look at verse 20. Now he says, but you. Now, uh-oh, now he's talking to you. He's talking to us, you know. He's, he's talking to us who have come to know Christ and have received 
instruction, have been taught the word of God. You have not so learned in Christ. All the things that he described, you have so, not so learned of Christ. In other words, that isn't what you learned about Christ. It's not the way of life you learned from Jesus, the one that was described. But not simply the doctrine of Christ, you know, the instruction, the formality of it. But Christ himself, that's the one you've learned because you're in him. You've experienced Christ. As we study the Bible, we, we get to go from this head knowledge about Jesus to obedience in Christ by learning, putting on his mind how he lives, how he treats others, his character, which we know is lowly and gentle. He's a humble servant. He's a, perfect, he's a protector and a defender of the weak. So a disciple of Christ has a different mindset than the world. Verse 21, he says, If indeed you have heard of him and been taught by him. Now what he's really saying is, it's not if. He's just basically stating, you did hear about him. You were taught of him. It's a fact. Through Paul's teaching, they became acquainted with him. But not only were they heard about Jesus, they were taught about Jesus. Which comes back to the importance of, excuse me, biblical leadership in the church and teaching of the word. As you grow in Christ, now Jesus now becomes your teacher. Whether it's through the pulpit ministry, a Bible study, or personal study. Jesus is the one speaking now to your heart. John 10, 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them I also must bring. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. You hear the voice of the master. You hear the voice of the shepherd now. Because the truth is in Jesus. The sincerity of mind, the integrity of character, or the mode of life in harmony with what? Divine truth. You want to bring your life to be in harmony with the Bible, the truth of God's word. Some describe this is sort of like, Jesus is sort of like being the atmosphere where his divine instruction takes place. And we have songs. We have a, a song we sing, Christ Be All Around Me, which was an adaptation of a hymn by this uh, Cecil Francis Humphreys, but it's attributed to a 5th century prayer written by St. Patrick. He wrote, Christ be with me, Christ within me. Christ behind me, Christ before me. Christ beside me, Christ to win me. Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger. Christ in hearts of all that love me. Christ in mouth and friend and stranger. So you have the application. Paul is going to now personify the old life, the old man as sin. as It's like a garment. Okay, we talk about our new wardrobe. And we are to put off the old wardrobe and dress ourselves now in the new wardrobe of righteousness verse 22 that you put off concerning what your former conduct in other words the, your manner of life the way it was that we described to some degree or another you cast that aside now 
He talks about the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. The old man simply refers to the way you were before salvation. How you thought, how you felt, and the actions that you took in life. And as time goes on, as we learned, it gets more and more corrupt if you're not regenerate, if you're not having a new life in Christ. It becomes defiled and destroyed. And moral decay, that's where it ends up. According to the deceitful lusts. Now deceitful lusts are the influences that seduce a person to sin. Because of this truth in Christ, you and I as disciples, we can cast off or we can shed our old way of life. You can recognize that the old man, if you will, has been crucified with Christ, Romans 6.6. 6. You can realize that the old man and the power to influence evil deeds has now been broken. You're no longer a slave. And you can make a conscious decision to reject temptation by putting off the old man Every single day, day by day. That's the hard part about being a Christian, is you have to give your life to the Lord every time you put your feet on the floor every morning. You've got to not become saved again, but you have to make a conscious decision to serve Him once again, each and every day. When you talk, when I first got saved, I, I talked to older folks in the church, and I said, you know, for instance, one gentleman, I said, You've been walking with the Lord for how long? You know, and this, this older gentleman had been walking with the Lord for 40, 50 years. He was a good, you know, solid man of God. He discipled me in, in a, a lot of ways. And I said, well, you know, how is it with this sin thing, you know, this struggle that you're having? Because I, I discovered, like, first of all, how sinful I really was and then the battle that was ensuing. And he says, oh, it's the same thing. You deal with the same problems. I said, really? <laughs> yeah. You still deal with lust. You still deal with greed. You still deal with anger. You still deal with selfishness. You still deal with pride all your life as a Christian. But as you grow in the Lord, you learn how to fight the battle. You learn how to use the equipment that God's given you. Verse 23, it says, we're to be renewed in spirit. He says, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is where we refer to our daily Bible reading. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Renewed in the spirit of your mind, being filled or renewed by the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because of the truth in Jesus, now a disciple allows him or herself to be renewed in his thinking. Remember, change your mind and he'll change your heart. Amen. Verse 24, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God. This is not new in the, in, the, in the mention of time. It's not like you just went to the store and you bought a new jacket or a new shirt. No, this is new in the uh, quality or the form of life that now God has given you. The different nature that you, uh, that you have. It's next Sunday, Tim. <laughs> 
That's okay. We understand. We're almost done, by the way. Uh, <laughs> because of the truth in Jesus, a disciple pursues righteousness and holiness in the truth. So, as we close, let's just ask ourselves a few questions, if you will. Here's the quiz for you and I for today's lessons. The obvious question before us should be this. This renewing of my mind, this shedding the old man and putting on the new, does this describe me? Does this describe my life? Am I daily shedding the old nature? Am I allowing myself to be renewed in my thinking? Have I committed to daily scripture reading, to prayer and fellowship with Christ? You, you know, we get busy. There's a lot of things competing for your time. And we also can get very lazy on the things of God. And we can kind of make, rather do something else. But you notice what starts to happen when you're not committed to that daily scripture reading and to that prayer and fellowship with Christ. Your life can end up in a total disaster. You can be shipwrecked in your faith. Your life can crumble all around you. Am I pursuing righteousness and holiness in the truth? You know, it's one thing to pursue that stuff, but is it, is it true? Do I not only put off the old nature, but do I complete the wardrobe? This is super important. Do I complete the wardrobe by putting on the new nature? You know, you, you may say, uh, I may have lost my temper with someone, and I may have repented and I put it off, but I didn't finish the job because I didn't put on love. I haven't completed my responsibility to put on love and patience along with it. It's one thing, oh, okay, I'm so sorry. And then, you know, you find yourself getting angry again very, very shortly. So you put off the old and you must put on the new. And in the case of controlling your temper, it's love and patience. Just because somebody says something that offends you, even something that's wrong, doesn't mean that you have to retaliate. Maybe you can put on love and patience and let God deal with that person. I have found that to be much better result. I don't always, I don't know I'm always good at it. I'm not always, I'm not always good at it, okay? But I can tell you, the times that we have, especially if you're a representative of Christ to your family and your friends and your neighbors, So put off the old and put on the new. The final thing I'm going to say, it's a simple question. Am I a disciple of Christ or am I simply a church attender? Am I simply somebody who comes to church every Sunday religiously, but I am not following Jesus? I'm following a religious program. Those are healthy questions. All the ones we just asked, those are healthy questions for you and I to ask ourselves in light of, this, of today's scripture. Amen? Amen? Let's stand and shake it out. I'm going to pray and then we'll read our closing verses. Well, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that, uh, you know, I just pray that as, as we step out those doors today into that world that awaits us, that we would have a renewed mindset Lord God, that we would see things for what they are, but at the same time not be in despair about the condition of the world. 
Lord, maybe it's time that we put away some of our habits, some of our news intake, some of the things that we do outside, uh, the things that you see every bit of, Lord. Maybe it's time for us to examine the things we do and the lives we live. May it be our heart's desire to want to please you, to walk in obedience, and to truly have the joy that you say you promise to us. Even though when life is difficult and life is hard and it's not always joyful, if we'll be faithful to you, Lord God, we know that you've never let us down. You've been faithful to us the whole time we've been walking with you. Our testimony tells us that. So why would you stop being faithful now as we come before you? So Lord, we just ask simply that you go before each and every family that's here. Lord, I pray that you would bless the, fa the families here, the households that are represented here, the households that attend here at Calvary Chapel, Elizabeth City, those on travel, those who are sick and couldn't be here. And I simply ask, Lord God, that you would bless and keep them, that your face would shine upon them, that you would warm their hearts for the things of you. And Lord, that the love that we have from you would radiate and never fade away, Lord God. We know that's the promise that you've given us. Go before us now. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.